The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to The Rebel Podcast. Happy New Year, P Nate, Elder P, not in Garage Mahal, sadly. We are in mini Garage Mahal, our home away from home, and we are the Rebels. We are the podcast for cultural engagement. P Nate, Happy New Year, Happy birth of a new child. How you doing today? Thanks, I'm doing good. It's been a restful December for me, I'd say. Uh, many of our listeners might not know that I was on sabbatical, so not only do we have uh, baby number four born, so little Peyton joined the family early December, actually right after the Mission of God conference in uh, in Windsor, which is why I wasn't at the Mission of God conference in Calgary, but Tim Stevens and uh, Joe Boot and the gang uh, knocked that one out of the park without me. Um, but yeah, so I, I took a bit of a sabbatical through December, helped the family get situated. It's also, the, the elders have been trying to give me a sabbatical for years. I've been here for 11 years. So it's the longest amount of time I've actually ever taken off. So we actually have adequate staff now. I say adequate because Chris is right here with me. You're you're adequate. You're not, I'm <laughs> no, adequate. No, no, competent staff. Uh, so I was actually able to unplug a very restful, great December, lots of good time with family, but also like eager to get back to it. Like man was not made for rest. Man was made for work. Rest is a good, godly, beautiful, wonderful thing, but we're supposed to work. So I'm happy to get back to work. We are, as you mentioned, in mini Garage Mahal. So Dave Wetzi, uh, who is uh, the, our guy on the knobs and dials, uh, we just recognized that it was getting harder and harder the busier we get to get out to Garage Mahal to do actual recording. And so he actually brought Garage Mahal to us. He brought us some sound equipment and found a closet in the church. For anybody who's been following what's happening at Crossroads, every square inch of this building gets utilized by multiple ministries and for multi-purposes as we continue to uh, look for uh, areas to expand. Even our coat room is a classroom right now as we uh, look for our education stuff. So anyway, we are in a closet right now that has extra tables, extra chairs, Christmas decorations, ladders, various things. But it is very Garage Mahal-esque. Yeah, so if you have land anywhere near Ingersoll, Ontario, (laughs) we're looking for about 10 acres. We'll pay for it. We're looking for a lot more than that. We got irons in the fire, but we can always use some leverage. We take more, but like 10 is the minimum. Just hit us up. Like, you know, bless the rebels. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so anyway, new year. We're back, hopefully with mini Garage Mahal here at the church where we can jump here between meetings and stuff. We can get a lot more consistent in our recording. And a lot more fast rather than kind of having to plan out when we can go and when it works with everybody's schedule. So we're we're here recording and, uh, and that's good. So as you said, we're the Rebels. It's been a little while, but we are still a part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. They have not kicked us out yet. 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 Mm-hmm. And uh, proud members we are. So if you are listening to us on any sort of podcast catcher, we're thankful that you're listening to us there. But the best place to listen to the Rebels is uh, by downloading the Pub TV app, the Fight, Laugh, Feast network app. You can get all the shows there. There's wonderful shows both on the U.S. and on the Canadian side. 
And uh, we would encourage you to do that. Become a club member if you haven't. Speaking of being a part of the network, there's a few announcements I'd like to make. First of all, uh, it's likely too late for us to get you guys to TacticsCon. That's uh, uh, January 19th and 20th in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, but that should be a great conference. And so anybody who was there, I hope you had a great time or hope you will have a great time next week. But a couple things that you still do have time to sign up for. First of all, Right Response Conference. Now, Joel Webin and Right Response Ministries isn't necessarily tied to the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. But the Ezra Institute will be there. So myself and Joe Boot will be there and lots of kind of network guys. I know Doug Wilson will be there. Brian Sauvey, Eric Kahn, and Joel Webbins, the host, of course. Uh, but the Right Response Conference this year is in Taylor, Texas, March 1st to 3rd. And get this, the title of this conference, Chris, is Blueprints for Christendom 2.0. It's going to be awesome. And so the idea is seven doctrines for ruling the world. I'm looking forward to it. The Rebels will be there. So you and I will be, be there. there. And you had a question for our listeners, especially those of you in Texas. I've been to Texas one time, but I was only there for about five hours. So I didn't get to eat while I was in Texas. So I want some like authentic Southern barbecue. Yeah. What's the best place to go? Now, we're in Taylor. We're in Taylor, Texas. Yeah, within 50 minutes, though. I would drive a little bit. Yeah, of course we'll drive. But like it's the promised land, according to Gabe Wrench. So like there better be some good barbecue in that area. So let us know. Maybe we can we can head out with uh, with some people and meet some people there. So come and look for us. I'll be at the Ezra booth. I don't know if we'll have a, a rebel booth there or not, but come to the Ezra booth. Meet me. I'll point you in the direction of Pooty, and uh, we'd love to meet some of our listeners that we haven't met in Texas. Yeah, and then take our whole crew out for lunch. No, Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so the other uh, thing that I just want to keep people aware of is uh, New Year. So Ezra Institute has some training programs. If you just go to EzraInstitute.com and you click on the training programs tab, you'll see all the stuff that we do, Mission of God conferences, the Christianity and Culture Colloquium, the Cultural Leadership Academy. But I just want to highlight the, the Worldview Youth Academy. This is specifically for teenagers aged 14 to 18 who want to get solidified and, and a, a proper foundation for a Christian worldview. So we have training both in the U.S. and in Canada. Our U.S. training is going to be in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, um, and it's July 12th to the 18th. You can apply online, EzraInstitute.com, go to training programs, and then Worldview Youth Academy. The Canadian training uh, this year is, uh, is going to be in Port Colborne, Ontario. It's July 28th to August 2nd. And then we're actually looking to do a second week of youth uh, worldview training the week after that in Calgary or in the Calgary area. We're putting that one together right now. So if you'd be interested in that, um, the, the first week of August, the first full week of August, reach out to us as we're trying to put something together for Calgary as well. So just keep in mind our training programs. There's no better gift to give a teenager than the gift of proper worldview and a, a foundation of understanding God's law and the world that he made. Amen. All right. Those you're, are all our announcements. You're becoming bicoastal. Right? Bicoastal. Like, there you go. Oh, That's a good word. I try. I try. <laughs> it's good to be back, Chris. I feel good. I feel good. I feel good, too. I kind of miss Dave, though. I know. A little bit. I know. Bit. It feels lonely. Like, there's just the two of us. It, it's very quiet in here. Yeah. Um, that is true. I'm not, okay that, with it. not that Dave's usually the loud guy in the corner. He's usually... No, there's noise. <laughs> there there's noises. Noise. <laughs> okay. Here's what we wanted to do. First episode of the new year, we wanted to look kind of back at the year that was and forward to the year that's coming. And true to Rebel form, we didn't want to do a whole lot of work in putting this episode together. And so we're actually using the Dominion Report. So you can go to dominionreport.ca. I can't vouch for their theology, but it is a distinctly Christian news source that is uh, is sort of trying to highlight 
I guess, news pieces that are important for Christian Canadians to gain understanding for. So anyway, they had an article that they published on the last day of the year called The Top Four Stories of 2023. So we just kind of want to go through these, give us sort of talking points to, to talk through. And then it actually has sort of a what, what's coming up in the year ahead. And uh, we'll talk through a little bit of those as well. So we're just going to kind of, here's the Canadian landscape that was in 2023 and the cultural landscape that is coming in 2024, just to kind of set the tone and get us back in the saddle. So you want the rebels to in gauge culture. Mm. Mm, there you go. <laughs> True to our name. That's <laughs> uh, terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. Our jokes get better the more we record. That's true. Um, That's so, true. so next week will be much funnier. Yeah, we're very rusty. Like we're very rusty. Okay. Right, hit me. Hit you. All right. First kind of top story of uh, 2023 is uh, the headline is New Brunswick Premier Defends Parental Rights. So you may remember he actually got a little bit of news coverage over the year in general, but particularly in May, the government of New Brunswick announced legislative changes that would uh, require parental notification for all student gender identity changes in New Brunswick schools. So now uh, reading directly from the Dominion report, it says, quote, Despite significant media and special interest pressure to reverse the policy, Premier Blaine Higgs remained firm, reiterating his support for parental rights. Quote, I firmly believe that family has always been the backbone of our society, and to ensure that continues, we cannot undermine the importance of the role parents play in children's lives. End quote from Blaine Higgs, but I'm going to continue to read from the report. It says, soon after New Brunswick became the first province in the nation to protect parental rights against gender ideology, the government of Saskatchewan, led by Premier Scott Moe, announced similar measures. Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson followed by announcing that her party would advocate for parental rights during their ultimately unsuccessful election campaign. In addition to his firm stance on gender ideology, Premier Higgs has continued his year-long resistance against federal pressure to begin funding a private Fredericton abortion clinic. This year, the federal government signaled that they would no longer pursue measures to force the province to fund the clinic, ceding de facto victory to Premier Higgs' fight against private abortion funding. Blaine Higgs has consistently stood for truth, this is still quoting the article, and has constantly refused to back away from the so-called culture wars. His courage has protected children, both born and unborn. So I would say, like, the Dominion Report's a little bit more optimistic about uh, Premier Higgs than I am. He was not a great premier through COVID stuff, but ultimately, this is a good news story. Right. Oftentimes, as Canadians, we bemoan the fact that Justin Trudeau is our prime minister and for good reason. But this is, you know, a, a magistrate that has protected the lives of the unborn and parental rights in public schools, which is not happening really anywhere else in Canada. And the thing that I like and want to kind of highlight from this article is that his courage to actually do that actually prompted both Scott Moe and Heather Stephenson to do the same thing. And that's where like courage begets courage. So um, what do you think about this, Chris? Yeah, I, I had a couple takes on this. First thing, I, I think there's something beautiful with the story. I don't know anything about this this guy really at all. But the way I kind of understand things, he's he's kind of been the lone wolf in our political scene. That's like from the elected people, right? Who is actually standing against and actually affirming the right things in the, in this regard, and yep. it just shows like when there's one faithful man, when there's one person doing the right thing, how much one person doing the right thing can start to stem the tide of darkness back. And I've, I've just been thinking about this idea of like, we often call Jesus the light of the world and he yep. came in, and but like light automatically defeats darkness. Yes, They can't coexist. The moment you turn on a light switch, darkness flees. And so all it takes is one faithful guy saying, no, this is stupid and this is silly and I'm, gonna, I'm not playing these games anymore. And what happens? 
darkness starts to fall back. So just to give some of the, our American listeners a bit of context, the east coast of Canada, so New Brunswick, all of the provinces, states, you guys would call them, but our provinces up in the east coast of Canada are like the liberal hotbed of our, it's like New York kind of idea for you, for you guys in terms of just their the ideology that they have out there. The fact that this is a premier who would be like a governor for you guys is taking the stand out out there isn't like somebody in the like Bible Belt taking this. Yeah. stand. this is like somebody in the middle of like the Wild West for these people taking the stand. And the fact that it's worked is, yeah. is, is amazing. And that just shows like it doesn't take 10 faithful. It takes one faithful person right. following Christ and doing the right thing. And then Christ will start to have an impact. So that'd be the first thing I would say. And then the second thing is just what an unbelievable travesty that in Canada that that's a hot take. That yeah, in the Western totally. world, somebody totally. saying I affirm the family and yeah. and gender roles is and, a hot and parents take. should be involved in teaching the sexuality to their children. Like that's controversial. Yeah, yeah, for, totally. For basically <laughs> nineteen hundred and ninety nine years, I would say, yeah. probably, even probably even longer than that. That was just like an assumed. It was like, oh, yeah. okay, that wouldn't even make news. Yeah, exactly. And now all of a sudden, it's it's one of the biggest news stories in our country over the course of the last year is that a, a man says, no, I think the family is a good thing. Yeah. It's like, that's unbelievable to me. It just shows how far our Western culture has fallen from the actual way it was birthed in terms of like, we're the dominion of Can Christ, dominion of Canada. Like, yeah. and it's like, and now we have to affirm things that are obvious in our culture to be good. Like it blows my mind. And I'm not even going to make a joke about the guy, the fact that the guy who took a stand's name is Blaine, which is kind of, <laughs> I guess I did just make that yeah. joke, but um, what'd you think about it? Yeah, same sort of thing. I, I mean, the thing that stood out to me was just that idea that I said earlier that courage begets courage, that I think even in the political landscape, which is full of wolves and charlatans, I think that there is some common sense. It's just buried underneath a bunch of cowardice. And so when somebody acts courageously and says the thing that other people believe but are too scared to say, sometimes that instills the courage necessary to say the, the common sense thing. And I don't know, I don't want to speak to Premier Blaine and his faith. I, I haven't followed him closely enough to make that judgment call, but obviously he's acting out of some conviction. Protecting the unborn is another thing. We haven't really talked about that at all, but his work to save Fredericton from this privatized abortion clinic in Canada, that's unheard of. Like even the, the conservative government, even many of the so-called Christian politicians have conceded in the area of abortion, just assuming that that will never be changed in Canada. Like we are on par with North Korea in terms of having no abortion laws. It's abysmal, it's wicked, it's high rebellion. And to have a guy who's actually fighting that. Now, I wish he was fighting it a little bit more overtly in, in terms of, of stating his religious convictions, which is why I say I don't want to speak too much to his faith, because you don't hear enough of that in terms of the motivations behind his attacks. But maybe he's trying to be strategic. So I would just say this story teaches us that God can do a lot with very little faith and, and a very few number of people acting courageously because courage begets courage. Yeah, it's funny how Christians we forget all of the stories throughout the Old Testament is almost that exact story. That's right. God whittles down Gideon's yeah. army down to 300 yeah. to fight an army of 120,000, which is like, let's be like, you can't win that fight unless God does it for you. Yeah. But we still don't think one person can have an impact in culture. Yeah. We, we still think, oh, well, who cares if one politician stands up because we need all of them to do it. Like, no, no, we, our God doesn't need that. He needs 
one person to be faithful. Yeah. And, you know and, and, I and think, that's what he's calling us. I like, think that actually comes from the idol of democracy. <laughs> so this is maybe a bit of a hot take that we don't want to get into in this episode, but maybe it's for a future episode is I think, I think what ends up happening is that because we've bought into the lie that democracy is the best form of government, right? I would say it's not, I would say benevolent dictatorship or theocracy, right? God at the top. But uh, I think that because we believe that, we believe that we always have to be on the majority, which means that we feel like we have to win the majority. And that's not the case. We don't have to win the majority. We, we have to be one of the faithful few and let God win the battle, right? The, the idea that we have to win the hearts of 51% of the nation seems like a daunting task because we can't win any hearts and because that's a, a world away. But what you can do is be faithful within your sphere and watch what God will do as he transforms small spheres and remember that small spheres make up bigger communities, which make up nations and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think sometimes it's, it, it comes from this, uh, this idolatry of democracy that we think that we can't win without a majority. You know the scene in Revenge of the Sith where Anakin Skywalker is like, I brought peace and security to my new empire. And he's like, we live for democracy. And, like, oh, <laughs> and I'm just like, we kind of empathize with Anakin there. He did it badly, but I mean, like, we, we empathize with <laughs> Hold the, on, like, are you making the Sith the heroes? Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm just, the idea of, like... Anakin was just like, misunderstood. <laughs> like, democracy is in our goal. Democracy right. is closer to, like, it's a better system than the alternative. Than communism. Exactly. But, like, our goal is we have a king, and our yeah, king leads right. us, which isn't democracy at all. He doesn't get elected. Yeah. Like, and he will never get unelected you know what i mean there's yeah. no impeachment for christ like no. and so my point is is that like we do make an idol of democracy so i loved your hot take because we think that even that american system which is probably better than other people's system is the right system and it's like no no the right system is christ is king of all of us and then we have stewards who administer those things yeah, like like right. magistrates or however yeah, you yeah. want to say it so it's hot take it's a great one and probably our American listeners now want to shoot us. But like, um, <laughs> and they're armed. But they're down in the States, so can't get me. Because <laughs> you can't get your guns up here. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. terrible. Uh, uh, that's why they don't bother invading us. It's yeah. not, not, there's no point. Not, not necessary. Um, News item number two on this uh, Dominion report here is uh, the headline reads, Euthanasia becomes available to children and mentally ill Canadians. So I'm reading from the article now. At the end of 2022, then Minister of Justice David Lametti made a series of ill-advised public statements, including saying that suicide is a right that prompted the Liberal government to delay a planned expansion of euthanasia available for children and mentally ill Canadians. Because of this, many Canadians who value life were temporarily encouraged to see some momentum against the culture of death. Sadly, however, the temporary reprieve proved to be just that, temporary. The expansion of death by doctor will continue as scheduled in the spring of 2024. In 2023, as the government expanded assisted suicide accessibility, the practice itself continued to grow in frequency. Now to get this, this is, this is insane. Assisted suicide is now the fourth leading cause of death in Canada after cancer, heart disease, and accidents. One that's hilarious because that's that's even false because abortion is actually the leading cause of death yes. in Canada. I sorry, I just saw that today, yeah. but like that's unbelievable. Yeah. So let, let's back up a little bit because I don't think a lot of people even know this. Yeah. The Canadian government snuck in made expansions or, like, to to made through during COVID. So dur- so made yeah. was very restricted. 
uh, made is uh, whatever that stands for, medically assistance in death, right? And so it's woke terminology for killing old people is what it is. And originally it was like, if you were terminally ill and if your, you know, medication, all that kind of stuff was a strain on the system. And if the the way of treatment was worse than death itself. And like, there are all these things, but of course it was a foot in the door. They expanded that to all kinds of people. Now, essentially, if you are old and you want to die, you can die. And we actually have had people in our church who have been in the hospital for respiratory illnesses, for heart things, who have been encouraged, who have been asked whether or not they want to die. These are fully cognitive, happy, joyful Christian people who are now back worshiping with us, enjoying their grandkids. Like It's crazy how quick the nurses and doctors, some nurses and doctors in Canada are to pushing the elderly towards this. Yeah, it's insane. They snuck it in. Yep, um, that was the, during COVID. Yeah, and, they, and like the, the funny thing is even those terminologies like, oh, you know, it's for the suffering people. Yeah. It's for all these people like who they can't get better. But the problem is that terms matter. So when you start saying things like it's for suffering, we'll define suffering because exactly. like a very close family member of ours is in the hospital as we record right now yep. in immense amount of suffering. He's not asking for maid in any way, shape, or form. But nope. like the idea is like he's awaiting def- surgery and the yeah. surgery will end the suffering. <laughs> exactly. But like define suffering because if if they yeah. said you can't do surgery in our system now, you could be like, Well, my I'm out. My, I'm out. Like just because I don't want to live with pain. Or like and so then but then suffering goes down to what about mental illness? And because like that's the that's the part of that article that ticks me off. It's kids in the mentally unwell. So yeah. Two people we, we don't trust to drive cars, we don't trust to drink, we don't trust to do all the, can make choices to kill themselves. And I understand like people can go out and commit suicide whenever they want, but when somebody commits suicide outside of a hospital, they write it down as murder. Yeah. And we all know murder is wrong, right? And so like nobody has the right to just go and say, I, I want to kill myself, but they're pushing it on children and old people, basically the drains on our society, the people who don't, who are not helpful eaters, yeah. um, so to speak. But it's like they keep pushing it on people who aren't cognitively able to make these decisions because yeah. none of us would say your four-year-old or your five-year-old could make a, a wise choice about what suffering is because if you don't give them a cookie, they're upset. You're right. And, and interestingly, you could go back to some of our early rebel videos when we used to do rebel videos on news items and stuff. And when Maid was coming through, we're talking like six years ago, you and I did videos and we talked about this. We said the slippery slope here is this will get to mental illness and people who just have perceived suffering. And I mean, we're not prophets nor sons of prophets, but I mean, we saw where this was going. We, we can see which way the wind was blowing. And this is where we are now. And so now you do youth ministry now. I started my my pastoral ministry in youth ministry. I mean, you know the devastation of like a 16-year-old who breaks up with his girlfriend who is emotionally distraught, you know what I mean, for, for weeks on end. Cognitively, they're not done forming. But there's also like in, in a society like ours that's so full of fatherlessness and bad parenting and some of these kids have grown up in the in the school system, they have not cultivated any sort of self-control over their emotions. And so when when they are in the throes of emotional turmoil, they are not thinking clearly. And quite honestly, in Canada, mental illness is way astronomically overdiagnosed. I'm not fully convinced mental illness is even a thing, let alone let alone like talking about over. And so I, my, my point here in saying is like, so now we're going to let 16 year olds who are depressed because their girlfriend broke up with them are quote unquote, and I'm doing scare quotes around depressed, let them kill themselves. This is wicked. There's no word for this except evil. Let me push back on some like there might be some people listening being like, well, who cares if the pagans killed themselves? 
Yeah, like, that's a very Muslim the, like, uh, it's mentality. Very, it's very, so I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that, but for us as Christians, like, why do we care so much about what the enemy side does. For me, it comes down to one, all life is sacred. Yeah. I mean, like we, like everybody who is created. People are made in the image of God. Exactly. So like set that argument aside for, the, is like, the other part is like, how long until they say our belief system, Christianity, believing that is a mental illness. Right. Because we, we don't see clearly two plus two clearly can equal four, whatever. They're already using the terminology for trans people and things like that. That says like you not understanding my gender dysphoria or whatever is your mental illness, not mine. Right. How far is it until they say like our our belief that there's a sovereign power that over this world is delusion, is delusion, is, is mental illness. And then they have the right to kill us. So. Well, interestingly, in the preamble to Bill C-4, which is the conversion therapy ban in Canada, they call the belief in religious binary sexes and nuclear families mythology. They call it a myth. So they've already, like in a government document, have documented that they believe Christianity and its values are a myth. But even like not even necessarily having to go that far, I would simply say, not that I disagree with you, I think that that absolutely is one of the the slopes that it opens up. But on top of that, the idea like we have people in our congregation who came to faith in the last couple of years with teenage kids who they wish they could go back and, and re-educate their kids and not send them to the public school system and all that kind of stuff. But their kids are in the throes of it because they, the parents got converted later in life. And so even that idea of like, oh, this isn't our kids is ridiculous because who's us? Us is the invisible church that God exactly. is still saving, which means there are all kinds of kids right now with purple hair and you know confusion about their sexuality who one day are going to be in the kingdom of God. And this is a a tactic by the enemy to take their lives before that conversion takes place, like all of this is. That's what the culture of death is meant to do, right? So we understand why we're against it. What can Christians in Canada do to fight it? I came into your office. I said, P. Nate. I don't know if people come into your office and call you P. Nate, but some do. pretend they do. I'm really passionate about fighting against MAID. I believe it's wrong. How do I get Canada to stop this? Like, what advice would you give a Christian then? Well, number one, I would encourage them, if they are in medicine at all, to come to some Ezra Institute training to help Christians in medicine. That wasn't a shameless plug. No, no. (laughs) To help understand what it looks like to be a Christian in medicine. Dr. Ted Fenske is one of our fellows at the Ezra Institute, and he's our fellow of medicine and public theology. And he's an excellent example of what it looks like for a Christian to live out their calling. He has a great book, by the way, called Putting Faith Back in Medicine, I think it's called. It's available on Ezra Press. But Dr. Ted Fenske is an excellent example for anybody in the sphere of medicine on what it looks like to fight this within their own sphere. But I would say for your everyday Christian, this becomes like everything else. This becomes one of the things that you think about when you vote. This becomes one of the things that you talk to your elected officials about. As Christians, we ought to be getting together with the nominees in our communities. Ask them these tough questions. Ask them where they stand on it. Equip yourself to be ready to argue it because you will argue these things and somebody will say, well, well, what right do you have to impose on somebody that they have to live in their suffering? You know, you have to be ready to defend those things. So equip yourself to understand and to think Christianly about this particular topic. Be an apologist, be an evangelist in your sphere. So you are having these conversations with your neighbors, have these conversations around your dinner table, have these conversations in public. And then number three is make sure that you are advancing this in terms of how you utilize your vote, the kinds of people that you vote for, the kinds of questions you ask publicly, all that kind of stuff. 
Okay, I'm going to keep going because uh, we could probably talk about each one of these headlines an entire time, but this is supposed to be a bit of an overview. So I'll get to number three and then we'll skirt past number four because it's something we talked about at length just before our break. But the third news story is Canadian church burnings continue. I'm reading from the article now and then we'll talk about it. Since 2021, nearly 90 church buildings have been burned or vandalized severely across Canada, all in the aftermath of the announcement that unmarked graves had been discovered at the former site of the Cam Loops Residential School, claims which are still unconfirmed. In 2023, burnings continued. In just the final month of the year, four Alberta church buildings burned as a result of suspected arson. The recent attacks gained very little coverage from major media outlets, however, and did not even receive an acknowledgement from the Prime Minister. The aftermath of these fires have been proven that the religion of secular progressivism has now replaced Christianity as Canada's primary religious framework. Accordingly, churches no longer are viewed as safe havens for the vulnerable or a warm home for the watching world. Instead, they are simply viewed as outposts of an ideology the world despises. As we consider these events, we should reject the idea that the world will love us. And, you know, uh, the article goes on to preach a little bit, but let's do the preaching ourselves. So (laughs) the idea here for anybody, again, who's outside of the Canadian culture or some of Canadians who just get too much of their news from the mainstream media. The idea here is that over 2021, 2022, and even this past year in 2023, churches have been set on fire as a result of the the government has adopted this Every Child Matters slogan. I I think they added a uh, a stat holiday for Indigenous schools, victims of of, uh, residential schools. Yeah. So the idea here is that um, there was a, a what they called a mass gravesite that was found. The first one was at Cam Loops Residential School. And of course, this was the only one. So every other quote unquote mass grave that they've found, they've said, well, we can't disturb it. That's that's to dishonor and disrespect the, the remnants of the people there. So none of the other ones have really even been investigated. But interestingly, this one has been investigated and Even New York Times, which is a completely liberal-minded news outlet, has said they were not human remains. That's not what this was. But the Canadian government has doubled down on it. Nobody in Canada, not one major news source, has acknowledged that that was fraudulent, that that was a wrong, an error that the media got. And because of that, there's this ideology that's sweeping through the progressives in Canada, and that is that church is the bad guy when it comes to these residential schools, and the church killed a bunch of Native kids. Now, let's just unpack that for a minute. I think we did an episode on this when it happened, but that was a couple years ago. So first and foremost, what I would say is that, number one, residential schools was not the church's thing. It was the government's thing. Yes, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, not the Protestant churches, the Roman Catholic Churches partnered with the federal government. What essentially happened was that the government said that the natives who were on the reserves were not receiving the kind of education that would train them up to be productive members of Canadian society. And so they took children away from their parents, gave them to these residential schools, which was run by the churches, the nuns and the priests. And yes, abuse happened there. I'm not denying that. Abuse has happened there. Mass genocide did not happen there. There's no evidence to suggest that it did. But yes, abuse happened there. We know that the Roman Catholic Church has tons of documented cases about abuse and all that kind of stuff. But number one, of the 90 church buildings that were burnt down, only 12 of them were Roman Catholic churches. The rest were Protestant churches, which had nothing to do with any of this. Secondly, the big idea for this is not that the church 
was the villain in terms of abusing children. The lesson here is that the government taking children away from their parents, that is what led to all of this abuse in the first place. And yet nobody's talking about the government now talking about taking children away from parents because of the gender ideology that they won't teach them, right? People who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And this is just a, a total absolutely criminal error by the Canadian media to not cover this properly. And it's led to over 90 church buildings being arsoned. You said almost everything I want to touch on in that, like the fact that this is all based on a lie documented now by yep. New York times, that, several the Washington other, yeah. Post, Washington the other Post, one yep. two organizations. They're not conservative based things that are saying that this is like, like they're reputable things. Generally, if the New York times reports it, They've got something to go on when they do that, even if they're reporting it with a very skewed worldview to something else, but they don't just make stuff up Yeah, for the most part. But like our media outlets in Canada have said nothing about this. It's been complete silence. Not even a fact to be like, oh yeah, we, we got that one wrong, but, and like double down on terms of like, but you know, that was wrong there, but it's still true everywhere else or whatever. They just chose to ignore it. The big takeaway that we haven't said so far, I 100% agree with the idea of this is what happens when you allow the government to do things yeah. that the church was called to. Exactly. Raise kids. Yep. But like we have to remember that we have an, an adversary who is actively trying to thwart the gospel success because he knows the outcome of what happens when the globe is full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The end for him comes. The longer these things can stop from happening, the longer he gets to play in this playground. So it isn't shocking to me that it's Protestant churches that are being burnt down, that the church is being blamed because we're the enemy. Right. To their worldview, we are the enemy. Right. We're the only one that matters. Because like the truth is, if this was mosques, this would, it would have been condemned from the uh, politicians immediately. It, exactly. It so, would have been called a hate crime. It would have been uh, like... Abs absolutely. Like a lot of people who are listening don't live in our area. But so a couple of years ago in London, there was a... Um, a young guy, deranged young guy, considered yep. himself a Christian, deranged little kid, hit some Muslims with his car. Hit in a Muslim the, family. Yeah. Like, killed them. Tragic. Yeah. Yep. Terrible. Yeah. Intentional. Intentional. He's, I think yeah. he's on trial for murder right now, which is good. He, he was uh, sentenced. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He was found guilty. Good. Yeah. Like, he deserved um, it. Exactly. But this is in the height of the COVID narrative where it's like, you can't, you can't go see soon as it was a Muslim family, they they dropped all those so we could come out and mass celebrate. And I was fine with them doing the mass celebration because I thought all the mandates were stupid in the first place. My point on that isn't anything to do with Muslims. It's the, my, my point of it is that the narrative is okay when it's white Christians that are right. being persecuted, that right. white churches, because right. we are the enemy of... Religious ceremonies were allowed when it was a, a mourning Muslim community. Yes. Religious ceremonies were allowed when it was a Black Lives Matter rally, right? Religious ceremonies were allowed in various settings, but not in churches, not in Protestant churches, yeah. right? So that's what you're saying. Unequal weights and measures, which exactly, are an abomination exactly. to and the Lord. That's not a racial thing either. That's, that's simply that the Protestant churches are the enemy. You know right. I mean, that's why like you even said like it's been 12 Catholic churches. I kind of look at that as like friendly fire. You know what I mean? Like where it's like they, well, yeah. they probably didn't know. The, right. The, like, oh, the, dang. The, I the, thought that was Anglican. Like it said St. Paul. I didn't yeah. really realize. The idea is like, because we are the enemy. So like, I just look at it like there's no need for them to cover this. Like they're not going to. And like, so it, it, it beholds Christians to start bringing this up because we started this podcast talking about how it takes is one faithful person. Yeah. And you'd be shocked at the amount of conversations I have with people who admit they're, who are like, yeah, I'm a believer. And then they'll affirm everything we say. But then I'm like, why don't you speak out in your workplace? Or why don't you speak out at, right. in the board yeah, of education? I lose, I lose um, my job. 
because I'd lose yeah. my job. Well, if Jesus calls everybody to follow him, but he also says that he will take care of those things. He closed the bird. So if you stepped out in your faith and declared like, hey, by the way, this is wrong and this is happening. So somebody in media, because I'm sure there's Christians who work in that's the CBC and said, we're going to do a report on this, put up newspaper or whatever. All it would take is one person showing the faithfulness could, as the, as we see out, out East, stop the tide of this nonsense of like, because yeah. it's all based on a lie. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, a bit of a rant. How is it not a war crime? It's a hate crime to burn. If we were to burn down a mosque, everybody would be like, it's a hate crime. Yeah. We or, do that, or, right? I mean, or a pride flag. Yeah, uh, there's okay. there's a guy in BC right now who's on trial for a hate crime. He could, he could spend up to 20 years in jail for burning a pride flag. That didn't Legit, yeah. So if that's a hate crime, how is burning down churches not a hate crime? Has anybody been prosecuted for this? No, not one. Nobody's even been questioned from what I understand. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm going to go to the fourth story here. The fourth story is uh, Massacre in Israel Ignites Wave of Anti-Semitism. So we've talked a little bit about the Hamas-Israel war. We did a podcast on it, I think, just a little bit before we took a break. To be honest with you, Joe Boot did a better episode than we did in December on uh, on the whole geopolitics of Israel. So listen to that on uh, the Ezra podcast for Cultural Reformation, which is a partner podcast of ours. So go listen to them. This article kind of focuses more on the war, and we've talked a little bit about that. But what I want to kind of focus on is just take that headline and just say there was a bunch of pro Palestinian demonstrations in London and in all kinds of places in Ontario. I don't know if you saw any of the footage from like Eaton Center and Yorkdale Mall, uh, the pro-Palestinian protests. There was pro-Palestinian protesters in ski masks who right in front of police were threatening to kill a Jew, like literally said, I'm going to put you six feet under. Like, So I would say let's focus more on that side of things, that there are these pro-Palestinian protests going on around Canada that I think are worth our attention because these protests are far more violent, far more hostile, far more scary, full of people who are actually decked out and actually like ski masks on, all this kind of stuff, being violent and being threatening. And the prime minister's done nothing, whereas the bouncy castles in Ottawa during the trucker convoy, he called Nazis and terrorists. So like, let's talk a little bit again about the unequal weights and measures here, because these pro-Palestinian protests have been absolutely disgraceful. And the fact that they have not been condemned or stopped is even worse. I don't want to play the race card the whole time, but the one is a minority in our country right now predominantly was a white trucker convoy. I know you were there. You can confirm that like, I'm not saying everybody was there and I'm not saying it had anything to do with race at all, but I'm saying predominantly it's, it was blue collar truckers who were there who are generally males and are generally white for the most part, not universally, not anything, but so our government can easily crack down on them because we are the enemy to them because everybody in the media is going to be like, yeah, that's, that fits the narrative of all these things. What they can't do is crack down on the on the Palestinian protesters who are threatening police officers in airports to cut off their heads. There's videos of this. You can go look, yeah, go I watch know. it. They can't crack down because then they have to crack down on somebody who's a visible minority. In our culture right now, you can't do you that. You can't do that. Yeah. The, that's, that's racist. That's, 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 that's the highest crime. Yeah, I exactly. I don't know if I would even call him a friend. I had a like, guy we both know, guy we used to, I would say, be friends with. Um, who's kind of really got absorbed into this whole thing. He posted a thing on Christmas Day being like the fact that you can, basically I'm paraphrasing it, the fact that you can celebrate Christmas where the place where Christmas was invented as people in captivity would be fine if he left it there would just like, you should be 
given some thought to what's happening over there. But right. he didn't. He, he's like, just shows how far your white privilege is taking you. And it's like, how has this Palestinian thing become a white privilege? It's not white people. I didn't realize I'm making this a racial thing, but like, <laughs> I'm not a Jew. I'm not at war with Palestine. Like, I just don't understand how like our culture has gone to the point where we don't even, we can't even see events objectively anymore because we look at only who are the players in the game. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why that happens and why our friend who I think has fallen very far, I, I think I would say shipwrecked his faith. I look at that and I say, okay, what's happened there? Well, he's been made a victim, and I mean that legitimately. He is a victim of the enraged culture of the media. So the media wants you to be enraged. They want you to move from one outrage to the other. The reason they want you enraged is because they know that if you are emotionally invested, you're going to keep coming back for the news source. So the news outlets are financially motivated to keep you angry at someone and to villainize someone. And if they can make you angry with somebody, you're going to keep checking to see what's that filthy Putin doing now? What's that filthy Trump doing now? What are those terrible Jews in Palestine doing now? So like, that's why everybody is so enraged right now, because the media has caught on to the fact that emotion means money. They can monetize our emotion. And so Christianity, which is called to self-control, right? Christians ought not to get sucked up in this. And But the problem is for guys like our friend and, and many other people who I think have shipwrecked their faith is they've been sucked into the monetary engine of mainstream media. They've become enraged by everything going on and they are being completely controlled by their emotions. And as Psalm 25 says, they become a city without walls. And so now anybody, any news source, any headline can come in and stir up the entire thing. So what ends up happening is everything becomes an emotional reaction. And as Christians, like one of the main things we're called to do is renew our minds and to, and to gain self-control over our emotions. The Bible highlights and exalts the mind and the conviction of the heart, not the emotions and the feelings of the individual. Those are to actually be subdued and harnessed by our understanding of God's word and God's promises. So that's what's gone on there. It, it, same thing with everybody who got so emotionally caught up in the, the people who called us grandma killers during COVID because we kept the church open and things like that, right? They have been stirred up like a city without walls to have an emotional reaction to absolutely everything. So I think that's that's sort of at the heart of what goes on with things like that. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of I hadn't thought about the like the fact that they can monetize emotion. Yeah. Because like, but you think about it, that is literally what is happening. Because even I would even say, early on in COVID, that was basically never a COVID thing. But I I did go to the websites oftentimes just to check like, oh look what they're saying. You know what I mean? Right. Like almost to get enraged about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like in the other like, direction, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm just like, and so like you can, you can fall off the ledge totally on both sides. What's so funny about this is that like we're witnessing an event that's happening in our history that has happened hundreds of times, but now we're in this post COVID area where people actually don't know how to like even navigate. They don't know how to, what they to do with those emotions anymore. That's and right. so what do we have? We have people threatening police officers to cut off their heads and police officers not knowing what to do. Because their hands are tied. Because if they hit the guy, they get George Floyd. Well, he just threatened your life. That's a crime. It's mind-boggling. Like, yeah, totally. Um, and, th and this is what you said something on a previous point, which people if you will remember. This is why history is doomed to repeat itself. And this is why things like them tearing down. Like before we started seeing all this, what, what did they do? They tore down our statues yeah. to make us forget yeah, totally. the guys who liberated us from freedom, liberated us from things like this. And then what did they do? 
they silenced us in the press. They like not me and you specifically, but like they but silenced the, the <laughs> they silenced the right. Yeah. Like really, like in the press, except for the far right, which is the only right, right there is now to a lot of people. And then they disarmed the population. So there's in Canada anyway. There's no way for anybody to even fight back. Like, right. Not that we're I'm not advocating us taking take when those threats of we're going to cut off your heads become we're actually just going to do that. Well, the truth is, I mean, and Joe Buddhist has uh, put out some really awesome lectures on this idea. Like, this is ultimately what the goal of Sharia law is, like, is, is to come in and, and conquer like that. So, but I don't want to get caught up in that. I want to end this podcast because it's gone on for a little while. So here's what I would say to that. You're right. There is no feasible means with censorship and with villainization and with disarming and all that kind of stuff for us to think through how can we fight back against this. And it just reminds me of Isaiah 9, which you you preached on in my absence. Thankfully, it's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will do this, yep. right? It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will win the battle for us. So this article on Dominion Report actually ends with uh, three things to think about with the year ahead, and it all has to do with elections. It's Trudeau versus Pierre Oliver. It just says, after eight years, Justin Trudeau appears to be a change in elections sometime between now and September 2025. It looks at the polls and talking about how Pierre is so far ahead of Justin. It talks about provincial elections in uh, New Brunswick, Saskatchewan, and British Columbia. I don't even want to talk about all that because what I would say is that for far too long, we've put our hope in better politicians, better policies, better political reform. Reform doesn't start in the sphere of politics. Reform starts in the church, right? So judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Part of the reason we're seeing a nation and a culture that's on fire is because so many churches not understanding the importance of worship and the the warfare that worship is in the spiritual realm closed their doors for three years. For the better part of three years, there were very few churches that remained open worshiping the triune God in Canada. Is it any wonder that we see a nation that's on fire? Well, no. And so how do we put out this fire? Well, we allow the zeal of the Lord of hosts to go to battle for us. How do we do that? We invoke him to war on our behalf through worship, right? We ask that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that only happens as the covenant people of God come and corporately renew covenant with him through corporate worship. So the application of all this, go to church and worship God as he's prescribed. Amen. And worship him in your families and worship him in your communities. And it trickles out from there. Beautiful. Let's end right there. So Beauty. Let's say anything else.